Exploring Chiropractic, Episode 22, Behind the Scenes of the National Board Exams. The rumor that we hear, or at least the understanding we have, is they have to fail some percentage of students. Right, and that is what I heard too, and I'm here to tell you that is wrong. That is 100% wrong. You're listening to Exploring Chiropractic. I'm your host, Nathan Cashin, and joining me on this episode is an 11th quarter Palmer West student, Jonathan Parham, who is the National Legislative Vice Chair of SACA, and he just got back from a little town in Colorado where an organization you might have heard of, the National Board of Chiropractic Examiners, was holding their annual student leadership forum. Jonathan, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to chat with you all. So I want to get to know you a little bit. Um, thankfully, Stephanie, another member of SACA, got us in touch and let me know that you were going to this mysterious meeting of NBCE. Um, and I'm excited to learn more about about this kind of abyss of examinations that we all have to go through. But tell me, why are you in chiropractic? What brought you to the profession? Yeah, um, you know, for me, I was, you know, kind of a skeptic when I was younger. When I was in high school, I played uh, hockey and I was, uh, you know, kind of always getting injured. And, you know, my mom finally one day said, I'm tired of you complaining about being hurt. And she said, you know, I've been seeing a chiropractor. I, I think that might help. And and I was skeptical. I was like, oh, I don't want to go, you know, typical 16-year-old boy. And uh, finally, she convinced me to go. I went and I was blown away. Um, you know, the the massive amounts of benefits I felt, not just my injury rehab, but the performance that I saw in the eyes, how much better I felt in general, not just where I was hurting blew me away. And after that, I started asking my chiropractor, said, hey, you know, how do I get into this? I've, you know, wanted to be in the medical field. I, I didn't know which direction to go. And she kind of pointed me in the right direction. And, you know, 10 years later, here I am. What sport did you play? I played hockey. Okay. So where are you from originally? I actually grew up in San Jose, California. I'm one of the few California natives that somehow got into hockey. <laughs> and from my understanding, you guys have a fair amount of Canadians up at up in Portland at UWS. It's, you know, numbers range somewhere around 40% of our students are Canadian. Yep. Yep. We're sitting probably, probably a little bit less, but around the same. I'm one of two Americans on our Palmer West hockey team, and the other one is from Alaska, so I'm not sure if that quite counts. So. No, I mean, that's pretty much the Great White North. Exactly. So what was your path to chiropractic? You went through high school as an athlete. That's when you started to become familiar. Did you did you get an undergrad degree? Did you do a master's? Did you go straight in as quick as you could? You know, I took kind of a, a, a different route. So I did junior college and got through that. Decided, you know, I wanted to start working in the field somehow. So I went and got a massage therapy certification. Oh, cool. Um, that was awesome. Then I actually started working for a physical therapist and a chiropractor at a multidisciplinary clinic where I got to have a patient load under the physical therapist. So I was doing, you know, all of the soft tissue treatments, all of the exercise, all of the modalities. And I got to 
kind of witness firsthand what it was like in a clinic with both a physical therapist and a chiropractor. That was probably the biggest blessing in my life was getting to experience that before going into chiropractic school. So while I was doing that, I went back and was going to school kind of at night and on the weekends, finishing up a major in kinesiology. And then um, after that, that, I was there for about four years. And then I finally applied to Palmer West. And it sounds like you were pretty much the role of a, a PTA, a physical therapy assistant. Yeah. Um, so physical therapy assistant, that's technically its own. Uh, it's an associate's degree. I was okay, and a certification, a licensure. Right. Okay. Um, I kind of got really lucky and was able to do a lot of that um, because of the laws in California where I was able to work under the direction of a physical therapist, but still, um, you know, got a lot of autonomy and, and kind of got to learn on the fly with the PT and the chiro, kind of, you know, watching over my shoulder, making sure that I was doing things right and coaching me along the way. So with that exposure to both PT and chiropractor, these two fields that are really overlapping a lot today, what made you ultimately choose chiropractic? You know, I get asked that all the time, and I, I love that question. Um, the physical therapist that I worked for, of course, wanted me to go into PT. The chiro wanted me to go into chiropractic. Um, what really drove me was the... It's really the diagnosis and, and being able to diagnose as a chiropractor and be a, a primary care physician. That really drew me. Um, you know, I think there is a ton of overlap between chiropractic and physical therapy. And there's things that physical therapists can do that, that we're not quite doing. And there's things that we do that they're not. Um, but that was the biggest thing to me is I wanted to be able to take that real whole person approach. And when when I saw a patient be able to say, okay, let's, let's talk about everything that's going on, not just your hurt shoulder. Let's talk about everything and figure out how we can get you functioning at um, the highest level we can. That's awesome. Did, did they have a bet going on, on which you would ultimately choose? <laughs> I'm sure they did. If they didn't, I would be surprised. And if they did, I want my cut. Because I never saw any of that money. <laughs> All right. Uh, a couple of grab bag questions here for you. Um, if you could time travel to any historical chiropract chiropractic event, which one would you want to witness? Ooh, you know, I would actually go back to the Wilk trial, um, you know, oh, with really? Luis Portelli and that entire process. You know, that's something that really resonated with me when I first got to Palmer West and hearing how that happened. And really what, what inspired me was knowing that there were these chiropractors out there that saw what was happening and were willing to stand up to the American Medical Association, which was the powerhouse of the time and still is today, and, and really tell them, no, we're, we're not going to take this anymore. We deserve respect respect, we demand it, and we're willing to fight for it. Um, that was so inspiring to me. And that is really something that helped drive me to get into the Student American Chiropractic Association was, you know, I realized, hey, somebody has to stand up for us. You know, in the political arena, at the end of the day, if you're not fighting for yourself, no one will. That's awesome. I was just at the Parker seminars here in Las Vegas, um, just because I happened to be here for my preceptorship. And they um, they screened the, an upcoming movie. I think it's called Undoctored, right. which is all about the Wilkes trials coming up. Great answer. 
Well, before we move on to talk about national boards, I want to tell you what I recommend to use while you're studying, and that is TrueBrain, the world's most tested productivity drink. I was using TrueBrain just recently as I was studying for state licensure boards. This is a daily beverage with all the nutrients you need to perform at your peak. Now, many of you are using Monster and all those other energy drinks that give you the jitters. This is not the same stuff. This uses active nootropics, paracetam, oxyracetam, L-theanine. These are compounds that will help give you clear focus, mental endurance, verbal fluency, and it's actually been tested by neuroscientists. Also includes the nutrients that your brain needs to keep functioning well, like acetylcholine, carnitine, and it tastes pretty darn good. It, it's made with monk fruit and mangosteens and pretty tropical fruits. Head on over to exploringchiropractic.com slash truebrain, that's T-R-U brain, and you can get a sample pack of the regular drink. You can get it with or without caffeine if you need that extra boost. You get the sample pack with a boost and some energy straws. I highly recommend you give it a try. Worked wonders for my focus as I was studying for boards. Well, I want to hear a little bit about this meeting that you went to. So as as the National Legislative Vice Chair for SACA, and if students aren't aware of SACA, or if there are any pre-chiropractic students listening, explain what SACA is and tell me a little bit about what this meeting was for. Definitely. So SACA is my favorite organization, obviously. Um, I sit on our national board, which consists of five students from around the country. Um, we are the student body of the American Chiropractic Association. And we're kind of a, a very unique organization in that we, we help serve and, and grow leaders to move into the American Chiropractic Association, kind of our our parent organization, if you will. But we really do a lot of things on our own. Um, our biggest thing is we're, we want to grow leaders. We recognize that chiropractic is, is a unique field and, and we're a lot of mavericks, if you will. And one of the things that happens with that is we end up becoming a little bit ununified. We all kind of want to do our own thing. A lot of docs get into practice and they want to open their own practice, which is great. But that leaves us a little bit left behind in the political arena. So we really try to develop new leaders to move up in the profession and really move it forward. That's our biggest goal is we want to see chiropractic as a strong profession, both in the public eye and the political areas. One of the draws to chiropractic, I think, is that you can go off on your own and practice how you want. Uh, the scope is relatively broad, and so that's that does present a challenge to keep everybody together as one profession. So I think that's important, and it's important for us to do that while we're students to start to get involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your 11th quarter, I imagine you've taken at least parts two and three of the board, one, two, and three. Um, have you done part four as well? I've not taken part fours. I'm actually taking part twos and threes. Uh this March, so in just over a month here. Oh, okay, because you have 13 quarters. That's right. Um, so I just finished part four back in November. Right. And for students who haven't gone through them yet, all of these board exams are intense. Ah. Um, they make you 
everybody leaves them feeling like they failed. (laughs) (laughs) And oftentimes people don't understand why in the heck are we getting tested on this? Did you get some insight into that in this meeting with the national board? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, that was kind of a question that I hear a lot and, and it's one that I had myself. And the, the simple answer is it, it provides credibility. Um, it provides credibility in, in multiple ways. Number one, in order for us to be accredited and to be called doctors and to be physicians, we have to show the accrediting bodies that we're doing something, that we've earned that title. And this is one way that we do that. Obviously, our schools are the number one source of that, but the national boards are a way for us to really show the accrediting bodies that, hey, we're all unified. We're all one, at least for the most part, in terms of the sciences and diagnosis and knowing how to adjust, how to diagnose. We have a way to say every single chiropractic student that's about to graduate has at least this level of knowledge and should be able to practice chiropractic in the future. Um, and that's huge. You know, that provides us, you know, kind of a, a, a foundation to stand on. You know, chiropractic is so diverse. There's so many philosophies, so many techniques, so many directions that you can take it. We had to find a way to say, here's what we know. Here's what every single one of us knows, regardless of where you take that or how you use it in practice is, is not irrelevant. But in the eyes of the accrediting bodies and the state boards, they need to know that. They need to know that, yes, every single one of us deserves that doctor title. And, and that's why the national boards were created. So it, it creates a minimum level of competency, but also of responsibility. So that is the stuff that we, as chiropractic doctors, have to be responsible for. Absolutely. So what did what were these meetings? Um, what was the purpose of the meetings this past week, and what did they consist of? Right. Well, the meeting was incredible. It was an entire day, about ten hours of nonstop meetings, nonstop information. Um, they were incredibly gracious to invite us. There was about, I believe, there were seven or eight of us there from colleges across the country. And this is something that they've been doing for a number of years now, is to bring students in to kind of increase the awareness and answer some of these questions that we all have. Um, You know, one of the big focuses that they wanted to address was the myths that we all hear. You know, everyone hears, oh, we, you know, the school has to teach to the national boards or, um, you know, they grade on a curve as long as you're in the top. X percentile, you're fine. Um, none of that is true. And that, and that was what we really focused on. Really? <laughs> All right. We got to dig into the, some of these. So how do they grade? I mean, the, the rumor that we hear, or at least the understanding we have is they have to fail 33% or some percentage of students. And so that's where the minimal score, the minimum score to pass comes from. Right. And that is what I heard too. And I'm here to tell you that is wrong. That is 100% wrong. Um, Number one, before we even talk about how they do it, the one thing to know is that in theory, and this has never happened, but in theory, 
every single person across the country could pass any of the exams. 100% of the students could pass. On the flip side, everyone could fail in theory. Again, very unlikely to happen on, on either end of that spectrum, but the way that they do the grading is very unique. Um, they use something called psychometrics. And what that means, and I don't fully understand it, but this is kind of the, the layperson explanation, is that they take each question and they have this person analyze that question. And they get input through uh, surveys and through the professors that they invite out. And they rank each question on difficulty. And they give that question a score. So, for example, Nathan, you and I could take, let's say we had to take part ones together. We're going to have slightly different exams. We could each get out of the 80 graded questions, let's say 50 right, just for a random number. I could still have a higher score than you, even though we got the same number of questions right. So when we go and sit down in this room of 50 other students and they have a, we have assigned seating, we have a certain number, and they have booklets that already have our names on them. Mm-hmm. So each booklet doesn't ha- has a separate set of questions. Right. Now, there's definitely going to be overlap, and they do that intentionally because using this type of analysis, you know, they, they need to have a standard deviation. So we're going to have X number of overlap questions, but each exam is obviously randomized in terms of what number each question is, but there's definitely going to be questions that are not the same, but they're going to end up with the same mean score at the end. Got it. Where did these questions come from to begin with? Great question. Um, they come from our professors. Um, you know, we, I'm sure you guys all hear, you know, your professors kind of, you know, getting on their soapbox and saying, oh, I helped write the national boards. That's entirely true. Every single question that is in the massive database of the national boards comes from our professors for at least parts one and two. Parts three and four are a little bit different. Some of those questions and cases actually come from our state boards. So the state board will come in and they'll say, hey, you know, we had some issues with this type of case. Um, This is something that we're seeing a lot of. We'd like this to be added to the national board so that we know that the doctors coming out know how to handle this, know how to address it, and are going to provide the public with the best possible care. And if not the best possible care, they'll know when to refer it out to the right doctor. So in part four, doing our practical exam, for those who haven't taken it yet, you do an actual patient exam or parts of it. And there are lots of orthopedic exams. Mm -hmm. Many of those are named. (laughs) Nobody at my school knew the names. Who is it that is choosing these orthopedic exams that none of us know? Right. So if you go on the national board website, uh, mynbce.org or nbce.org, you can go to either one and they'll link to each other. Um, You can find under part four, the recommended texts. And what that means, it's not that you have to go buy brand new textbooks and read them cover to cover. But what the national boards do for part fours is they'll come up with a question and say, okay, we want you to do Patrick's test. 
what they do is they, they find one book that has Patrick's test and then they make sure that they can cross reference that with another book. So everything that we get tested on for part four is in at least two of those textbooks. Now, whether they be orthopedic exam manuals or um, diagnostic manuals, everything has to be found in at least two books. Some of it seems kind of arbitrary and random and might use terms that we don't use on our campuses, but those are the terms that are used within the textbooks. And that's really what the boards focus on. Okay. So one of the other complaints about the board exams is that they're so expensive. Part four was, gosh, close to $1,500. Right. Is this... Is this standard across medical professions? Is this similar if we were to do an MD or DO? Right. Absolutely. Um, we are actually less expensive than just about every other medical profession that has a national board exam. Um, the only one that's cheaper is nursing, and they're able to take theirs, and theirs is only written. It's one exam at the end of their education. For us, we are... Our, our total comes out to, if you take one, two, three, four in PT, I believe the total comes out to just under $4,000, which is about on par with surgeons, medical doctors, and DOs. So in terms of cost, we're definitely comparable. The biggest thing, though, is everyone asks, well, that's fine, but still why, right? I mean, you still kind of go, well, why am I spending all this money to take the national boards. The simple answer is logistics. Um, in order for us to maintain the credibility of the boards, they have to spend a decent amount of money just creating the exam itself. So that means flying in the professors, flying in the state boards, and on top of that, flying out the examiners, paying for that security. For those of you who haven't taken the boards yet, they they kind of do bring in the metal detector and they provide security that kind of makes sure that you aren't bringing in unapproved items and things like that. But the real cost comes from just the logistics of the operation. Um, the headquarters in Greeley, Colorado is unbelievable. It is state of the art and they do a fantastic job there of making sure that they are streamlining every single process to try to keep those costs down for us. So it it's expensive, but being that the national boards are a nonprofit organization, every single dime is well spent and it's it's accounted for. And it's really something that they take a lot of pride in, in that, you know, we are a smaller profession. We don't have the numbers that the medical doctors and the DOs have, but we're still able to maintain our costs at a at a low rate and maintain our credibility and our standards within that. So being an, a nonprofit organization, I think you said, is does that mean that the financials for the organization are available to the public or is that something that's open to be scrutinized? Uh, yeah, um, they actually showed us a little bit of it. Um, NBCE operates on a on a pretty tight budget. Um, in the past five years, they haven't raised their rates. But if you were really interested, I do believe that that information is out there if you wanted to scrutinize it. Um, from what we saw, it looked pretty 
pretty tight. And I'm, I was honestly pretty impressed that they're able to function at such a high capacity on such a slim budget, slim budget, excuse me. I think one of the, the last things, this has all been really eye opening and really cool to understand how, how the gears grind in the background. Um, but I think students will still want to know, is there any way to give feedback and to make positive changes to make it fit in more with, with the academic experience that we all go through? Absolutely. Um, the comment section was really shocking to me. You know, I, for those of us who have taken the boards, um, at the back of each exam, there's a section to write in comments. Um, for those of you who have taken the computer-based testing, there's actually a space, a space for comment on each question. Um, they have an entire team dedicated to looking at those comments and, and finding out why that comment was made, answering the question and saying, okay, if we have, you know, a hundred students that are asking about question 35, we need to look at that. And they do. Uh, we met one of the ladies there who her entire job when they do receive, uh, exams is to read through all of those and kind of organize them so that she can talk to, you know, kind of the powers that be and say, Hey, um, you know, I think that we have an issue. I think that we need to address that. Um, on top of that, if you ever have questions outside of the boards, they are available for contact. They have a, um, a contact area in the, my NBCE page, and they want our input. They want to know what students are thinking. They want to know what, what we want and what we're thinking. Um, that was what we spent a large portion of the day on was they kind of rapid fired questions at us and said, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think of the website? What do you think of the format? What do you think of the new computer based testing? Um, that's a big thing. You know, a lot of students have complained. It's really tough when you're only offering the boards twice a year, you know, especially for, you know, the schools that are on a quarter system versus a trimester versus semester, it gets a little confusing. It makes it really difficult for students to sometimes be able to take part fours or receive their scores when they graduate. Um, so what they've done is through the new computer-based testing, which is unbelievable. If you haven't looked at it or haven't heard about it, check it out. It's, it's awesome. They did a fantastic job with it. But because of that, they're actually going to be offering the boards right now. They're upping it to four times a year. And in the next two years, I believe, if not less, it'll be up to six times a year. So as soon as you get your scores, you will know, okay, you know, I need to retake a part of part ones. You can sign up and take that within a couple months maximum. That way you're not falling behind and having to stress out about Oh man, how am I going to take part twos? How am I going to qualify for, for part fours? They really recognized that the students were saying, Hey, we need help here because the boards are hard. They're, they're, they're extremely difficult, like you said. And every now and then you, you don't do so well. And they recognized that they needed to give us more opportunity to, to take those and not fall so far behind that, you know, you're, six months out of school and just getting your part four scores that that doesn't help anybody it doesn't help their profession it doesn't help with 
paying your loans back. And, and they recognize that everyone at NBCE is a chiropractor. Well, almost everybody. And, and they know what we're going through. They went through it themselves and, and they're, they really want to help us and elevate the profession. Well, this has been really cool. Thank you so much for sharing this inside look. Um, I think it would be great if more students could go. Is it just the SACA leadership that goes to this forum? No. So this time around, um, they invited students from Palmer West, Palmer Davenport, Logan, Life University, and I, and Cleveland Chiropractic College. Um, what they try to do is they try to alternate every year. Um, they take half the schools, bring them in, and then the other, the next year they bring in the other half. Um, we actually recommended that they do it more often or bring all of the schools every year. Um, we, we recognized how, how much we had learned. And most of us, you know, had been around chiropractic for a while and didn't know a lot of these answers. So, you know, we made the recommendation that they bring in more students. And if you, if any of you out there ever get the opportunity, if you hear about it, jump on it. It's an incredible experience, really eye-opening, and they really take good care of you. Um, going to Greeley was awesome. Getting to hang out with, um, we were, we met with Dr. Kraft, who's the president of the boards right now, Dr. Kolosh, who's the executive vice president of the boards. They were incredibly gracious. They're a blast to be around, and they have so much insight beyond the national boards. They're just great people to get to know and, and kind of pick their brain. So if you get the chance, jump on it, go. I It was one of the coolest trips I've taken as um, as a student. Well, I'm going to put in the show notes for this episode a link to NBCE.org and their annual meeting notes. As of right now, it's from 2015, so it's from a, a year ago. Hopefully, uh, by the time this comes out, they will have the notes from 2016. But there are as we discussed, urban myths associated with NBCE testing that they've got listed uh, with a couple of the other presentations that were given, um, an update on computer-based testing, which I think is really kind of the future. I I've got, I didn't do it for part four. Um, that was the only time it was offered, and I hesitated. It was so new that I didn't know if I wanted to take a chance. But everybody that did was really, really excited about it. They said it was much easier to take than the paper-based. Um, can you give us an update? What's coming up for SACA? What should students know about coming up later this year? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, the first thing we have coming up is our National Chiropractic Leadership Conference in Washington, D.C. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be interviewing students from all the different schools. This is one of the times when so many students from different schools come together. So I'll be there with my podcasting equipment. Anybody that wants to have an interview, come sit down and we'll chat. Awesome. Yeah, it's it. That is my favorite event of the year. NBCE is a close second, but um, NCLC is just the coolest event. Um, getting to meet with your Congress member and kind of tell them your thoughts on chiropractic and share your passion with them and talk about you know, kind of how we want to move the profession forward. We want to serve the community better. And we just need a little bit of help from, from Congress. Um, you know, it really makes a big impact. On top of that, you get to meet so many cool doctors. You know, I think we've all been to conferences before and 
it's great. You get to hear from some great docs, but you're usually surrounded by, you know, two, 300 students for every, you know, 15 docs at NCLC. It's the reverse. You know, there's 500 doctors and a couple hundred students. And these are the top guys in the profession. If, if they're not speaking, they should be, and they probably have at some point. So if you get a chance to go to NCLC, it is well worth it. Such a cool experience. Um, if you haven't been to Washington, DC, it's just, it's unreal. It's, it's one of the coolest things I've ever done chiropractic or not. Well, Jonathan Parham, the national legislative vice chair, thank you so much for joining me on exploring chiropractic and explaining NBCE. And I hope to see you in at NCLC. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to seeing you. Before you go, I want to remind you to head on over to exploringchiropractic.com slash truebrain to get your free trial of TrueBrain and improve your focus. You pay only $5.95 for shipping and handling and you get a sample pack of the TrueBrain drink and the afternoon boost. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at Exploring Cairo. And search for us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash exploring chiropractic.